Hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast produced by me, Fraser McGrew, for Aleph Insights. In this series of podcasts, we take a look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision making. I'm here with Chris Ragg and Nick Hare of Aleph Insights, and this week we're discussing what's gone wrong with the internet. Nick, it's all gone wrong. What's gone wrong? the internet well i don't know what it was in particular that <clears throat> triggered my sudden realization about how terribly the and by the internet i mean specifically the mm. world wide web so the kind of you know websites essentially mm. things with content on them um i think maybe it was just a, a cookie pop up too far and i just snapped and i thought that's it i'm sick of the internet and um so pop up asking you for consent uh, for cookies every single damn website you look at um, can we send you notifications every website wants to send you notifications uh, like websites you visited once want to send you bloody you know updates um, and you have to constantly fight against that you tell chrome you're not interested in any of them and it still they appear um, google search is terrible mm. Um, mm. all you get now is ads list articles um duplicate content it doesn't even bother it's it seems to search what it what it thinks you want rather than what you actually want um advertising everywhere um you know but this is the worst is on mobile you know if you look at a website on mobile all it is 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 pop-ups adverts videos that automatically run um sites every site that used to be good gets more and more terrible as the marketing people discover they can make money out of advertising on it uh you know sites like reddit getting worse and worse i, I reddit started auto playing advert videos and i, I uninstalled it because it's just so annoying um and uh you know and then of course well even non sort of non-web based services are getting worse streaming i don't know if you've noticed but streaming quality now is really uh you know worse than it was uh for for video um managing apps on your phone is annoying you know they all want to be your best friend they all want to send you notifications all the time um i i while i was researching this podcast right this exact podcast i i, I looked at a site called digital music news there was a pop-up to ask if i want to subscribe to their new daily newsletter right that was then overlaid immediately with a pop-up asking for consent to keep tracking cookies on my computer. That was then overlaid with a pop-up asking uh, me to disable my ad blocker. And all of this is to say nothing about the terrible content, you know, that, uh, I mean, all of it, like Facebook, it's just boomers moaning about stuff. And um, news sites are now just, you know, mainly recycled tweets, um, uh, everything. And then, all you know, loads of things that used to be good have disappeared from the Internet. You can't, the Internet archive isn't particularly comprehensive, um, which is not a criticism because it's good that it exists at all. But, you know, and then, and then even things, you know, cloud services, of course, are always annoying to have to rely on. Google is about to remove its free cloud photo storage, for example. You, you, that's going to be limited from now on. Um, Spotify, which a lot of people rely on to listen to music. I don't. I've got an iPod. Um, they, they, you know, routinely remove bands and things for various uh, yeah, legal reasons and stuff. So you might really like uh, some music and then it's disappeared, you know, forever. Um steam uh you know i've got an extensive steam library 
and uh, I can't play a game on my laptop if my son is using the same Steam library, even if it's a different game, on my PC because it won't mm. let you. Um, it's so incredibly annoying. Uh, so anyway, a whole bunch of things that I've to moan about. And, you know, mm. the last few weeks I found myself reading books, mm. <laughs> listening to my iPod, uh, watching DVDs. I'm really enjoying the fact that I'm not dependent on the Internet to do any of those things. Um, mm. And I just wondered if I've suddenly turned a corner and become an old fart or whether the Internet really is getting crapper and crapper by the day. Wow. OK. Um I feel like we I'm sure if we had Peter Coggill here, I'm sure he would sort of launch a robust defense of it of, of the internet. Yeah, yeah I, I think he would probably um, he would probably say that you know all of those are problems that can be solved by more things that would make more it apps work. yeah more, more, apps. more services yeah, exactly. all you've got to do is subscribe to this you know password manager and then you then you subscribe to a um, to a service that that reduces notifications and you subscribe to Adblock and you know yeah exactly it just but I mean the thing is that 20 years ago if you were on the internet you didn't have to worry about any of those things you could just yeah. look at interesting things on bulletin boards yeah I mean some of the things you mentioned that I think are because to do with uh, maybe our data was being harvested previously and mm. now we're being asked for asked for permission to do that so arguably yeah. a good thing but that's only part of it um, Chris, what are your thoughts? Are you in the Nick camp on this? Well, I am. I, I, I am. Um, uh, but I, I mean, the question I would ask is, like, what did you what did you expect, really? Mm. You know, I mean, we, we've got this massive democratization of, of the production of information, you know, and, and like I, it, it was very durager about 10 years ago, maybe to go through stats about what was what was going on but it is actually still quite instructive to say you know the the growth in in internet users has been you know massive it's now the you know the vast majority of the world's population are internet users um you've got maybe around two billion websites uh in existence um, you know, admittedly, a third or a quarter of which might be be active, um, but in the early nineties, it was measured in the in the hundreds or thousands, you know, of of websites uh, around. So, you know, we've we just had this huge ballooning of 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 the amount of information, and it's all entirely uncurated. You know, I mean, like, I, I kind of think, like, imagine if you go to the library. And all the books are in just like a big messy pile on the on the floor, um, and the only means you've got of of, of um, finding anything is by asking someone, you know, to find some books for you, you know, based on your 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 particular interests. And that person has then got a vested interest in fobbing off, you know, books by particular authors on you. And then other people have worked out how to get their books onto the top of the pile in 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 some way. Um, and then if you remember that like 99% of the books are written by utter morons, that's, that's the internet, right? Yeah. So, so what did, you, you give everybody the ability to make information and push it out there and you have no curation, you have no real governance of the process. What did you expect? It's a mess, you know. So we, we just got to the stage where we've, you know, it's like it's like those hoarders and they suddenly get to the stage where they're like, oh, Christ, we've got to move house now because there's all this mm. stuff here. That's where we where we are. We've reached a stage where we just need to move house. We should just burn the Internet 
and start a new one. It is um, that feels tempting, uh, but I will answer your question about what did we expect, because I was a bit of an internet optimist back in the uh, sort of late nineties, early two thousands. There's a few things that I expected. Uh, which have not come to pass. And it might be in intriguing to sort of think about why. But um, uh, so first of all, I suppose the key thing is this issue of sort of knowledge as truth. Um, one of my favorite websites uh, that I you know, discovered in the early 2000s was Snopes. I don't know if you guys ever looked at Snopes, but Snopes used to be a I mean, it's not it's not that great anymore. And I think partly because most of what they cover now is stuff on the Internet and in a way that their their raison d'etre has been swamped by um, by, you know, the amount of misinformation out there. But Snopes was brilliant because it was urban legends. Now, people don't really uh, urban legends aren't so much of a thing anymore. Mm. But, you know, if someone told you this hilarious story about their friend who'd wanted to do a wee in a sink and had accidentally broken the thing and, and you sort of thought, oh, that sounds a bit implausible. And you could look it up on Snopes and it would be like, oh, OK, this thing you just told me is uh, is just a well-known urban legend. And and I thought, well, that's a good model, actually. So what 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 this means is that it will be very easy for people to check whether or not things they're about to say are false. And false things will get weeded out. People will go, no, that's uh, that's a load of rubbish. And and people won't share things that are false. And we will gradually converge on a kind of, you know, an honest a, a consensus of honest, in, honest inquiry. And instead, you know, we have Twitter ratio battles. And um, what does and, that mean? Uh, What's that? Uh, you know, well, I mean, you know, it's basically mobs uh, fighting each other to try and, um, you know, to try and look like they're winning a, a pointless online battle um, and 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 polarization and silos and echo chambers. Um, mm. The you know, the idea would be that the information, well, let's say not even talking about stuff like, um, you know, political opinions, which is one kettle of fish, but just data you know there was a promise at one point that we would have web sort of i think i think it was 2.0 which would be like connected data where everyone would hook their data up if you had some data sets you'd hook them up to the internet and then people could you know easily use that data and um and and you know we could generate knowledge and insights through this great con connectivity um and we would converge on standards for sort of sharing and discovery and instead, we've got a a big, you know, like um, almost, you know, conglomeration of data fortresses with proprietary standards. And, and, and people are terrified of privacy for good reason, because companies like Facebook would rather they, they care more about marketing than they do about, you know, uh, uh, privacy for obvious reasons that, um, you know, that instead of all of these new insights and uh, uh, we've got list articles and marketing crap everywhere. Um, and also that we would have a persistent kind of almost library of Alexandria, which would grow over time. And we would end up with a sort of, you know, layers of new information. And you, and in fact, all that's happened is, you know, loads of stuff keeps going missing and you get broken links. And so everything is current. Everything is the last year. Um, you know, you, you finding data on the Internet is really hard. Um, uh, you know, any kind of usable data, uh, you know, and, and even if you know what you're doing, you know, you've still got to wade through places where it's proprietary, places where there's, you know, there's paywalls, places which tell you that they've got data and they don't because they're just, you know, some bot has created a, a web page to, to get high up on Google's rankings. It's so frustrating. So anyway, so that's what I expected. I expected all of that and I haven't got it. Okay. 
so so here's the question then um that's what's got wrong that's what's gone wrong um i mean we can continue talking about what's gone wrong um but everything you've said sort of sounds pretty sort of you know plausible to me i don't particularly disagree with anything there um what happens next or mm. what do we want to happen or what do we think will happen um is that a good line of inquiry chris yeah mm -hmm. yeah yeah no I, I mean i think um i i think for me if you look at the origin of the problem of what's going on with the internet at the moment and then think about fixing those that's probably the way to to you know consider how you're going to um uh, improve what's what's available at the moment and key to me uh you know one of the problems which was sold as a massive benefit was the fact that anybody can that there's no barrier to producing information all right mm. and so that means that you know um you know information coming out of uh you know the cern laboratory is is kind of on the same footing with uh you know um some something some flat earthers written somewhere right mm. there and there's no there's no um real hierarchy in that in that information that exists in the finding of it so there there are you know a lot more flat earthers out there than there are cern laboratories right and so they're creating more and more information and I, and i've got no real means of of um of sifting that and discarding that and and looking for things so the the fact that there are no barriers to creating information and there's no um intrinsic hierarchy in that in that information is is a, a major problem as as far as i'm concerned um the other major thing that's that's sort of driving it is um our means to access it right so everybody uses you know search engines and those search engines are are free i just don't think this model works right when you go okay. and buy a newspaper you pay you know the shop gets some money and then the newspaper eventually gets some money and the journalists get some money and that's why they produce it when every, the whole model is built on you getting information for free that means somebody's having to try and make money from that information in some way and it's not it's not by producing it it's by um you know it, it's by filling it full of stuff or you know um making it more about selling items to you i've got so a that, question i've got a so question hold on, hold on, because Nick. this no, so sorry. that means like you know if the product's free guess what you're the product right quite you, yeah. and that's hence all these pop-ups and what we're talking about people always want marketing to you and secondly, this sounds some similarities to another podcast we did where we were talking about the changing um, nature or different online cultures, right? Mm. And one of the things I think for your analysis, Nick or Peter, was that um, it was the, 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 the games with the worst sort of the most toxic atmosphere environment were those which were free. And the ones that you paid for mm. had a nicer environment. But anyway, just a couple of points there. Nick, I interrupted you. Yeah, no, I, I, I just I so I got a question because I think there's a puzzle in my mind here, which is that um, whether or not you're paying for it, the demand, the revenue that someone gets from advertising or the revenue that they get from having people pay for them ought to be driven by the same things. Right. So so I suppose what I mean is if you're willing to pay a pound for quality journalism um, and, uh, you know, that's and get a newspaper in return then quality journalism online ought to be able to attract more income from advertisers because uh you know more people want to see that 
So, so the question is, why was there demand for quality journalism? If there was, if it wasn't just being imposed on us, why was there demand for quality journalism when it was newspapers, but there's no demand for quality journalism when it's free? Well, because you couldn't, because there was no, because there was no alternative previously, no? Or there was no, certainly I'm less alternatives. Is if, let's, say, let's say that it, you're the Times in 1980, mm. and you can either publish list articles about the 10 scariest uh, animals yeah or you can publish quality journalism they obviously went for the latter on the basis that people would be willing to pay them money for it yeah what i'm saying is why wouldn't that calculus also be the same now why wouldn't people go well we want readers um because we get more money for advertising so we're going to publish quality journalism and not list articles right why has it changed just because it's free? It's the same calculus. You want people, what, you want demand for your content, right? I, because you're selling it or because you're getting advertisers. So why does that change things? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think we need to think that through. But one, one thing that I don't think helps is the, the mechanisms of consumption, right? The fact that most people are accessing the internet through their phone that's a very different thing to buying a broadsheet newspaper, right? The the way you're going to consume a broadsheet newspaper is you're going to sit down and luxuriate in it uh, and, you know, read it over the weekend or whatever. Whereas on your phone, you're probably on a train or, you know, something going somewhere. And so you're not, you're like the attention span is, is less. I mean, all these things you see about writing you know, content for online stuff is all about, you know, you've got, they, they all give you the the time, you know, the the reading time of the, of the article, three minutes, you know, and they mm. all say in the front sentence, you know, what the art, the, the conclusion of the article is always in the, in the front sentence. And um, that kind of model just does not lend itself to considered discursive content, right? You know, I mean, it's so, so I think that's, that's part of it that people are trying to get hey look i've got a phone i can look at a video of a cat falling off a shelf you know or i can you know because i've got sort of 60 seconds you know to go between places or i can read this long read about you know um the the political situation in haiti or something it's like well it's the cat every time isn't it so so i i think our mode of consumption probably affects that to some extent that it's like quick bite-sized things you don't have to engage your brain for that's what you know all the things that go viral they're not you know they're not really long uh long considered pieces are they they're they're short little clips yeah i mean so i i think um but i think we can talk about that actually in a sec sort of just what would the solutions look like there's just a couple of things what one is that something chris said which i wonder if is worth thinking about which is do you remember we did a podcast uh, a year or two back about interfaces and what like a good whether a keyboard was a good or a bad interface mm. or whether or not you could do it better mm. with a mouse for example and i think one of the interesting things we concluded was that actually we thought that keyboards might be a um bottleneck for the production of uh you know text but but I think when we looked at it, it was actually turns out to be the speed of thought that's the bottleneck, um, mm. and actually a faster keyboard would not help because we're already typing as fast as we can think. 
I, I think uh, something similar maybe about information, which is that perhaps we thought that the bottleneck on, on, on the production of, of information, useful information, was simply, you know, pen and, was, was publishing, was slow. And, and, and you know, uh, that uh, it, it, publishing in an academic journal took two years. And if you democratise it, suddenly we'll have the equivalent of hundreds of thousands of academic journals worth of quality information out there. And it turns out that there isn't because you know actually useful information is is not being produced very much you know yeah. there just isn't very much of it out there and um and so you you know if you if you were to add up the amount there what there is in the world now it'll probably be fairly similar to the amount of useful information being produced 30 years ago and and it turns out the bottleneck wasn't the uh, production and the dissemination methods uh, the bottleneck is the actual generation of useful information yeah um, yeah no I, I i i think i i think there's also um a, a kind of a cost benefit analysis that's going on right which is that how much does it take to produce um worthy you know good journalism right that's quite resource intensive how long does it take you to film your mm. cat falling off a shelf not not very long so you can chuck out loads of cat videos uh, you know, and and the fact that you've produced an entire newspaper full of stuff just to get one advert in there that sells something to somebody, mm. you, if you can get all of that alongside your your viral cat video, mm. why would you go to the bother of producing the um, the journalism? So yes, there probably is still a market out there for journalism. It's just the the cost of production is much greater. Yeah, well, I think I think if you, I mean, so Substack is a thing that all of the sort of intelligentsia on the internet are talking about in that it's uh, a paid for, you know, well, essentially it's paid for sort of blogging service where you can subscribe to blogs and pay for them. Um, I feel like this could, this sort of thing could be the salvation for the internet. Um, uh, in much the same way that I guess, you know, I mean, I don't watch Netflix very often, but I recognize that they're a higher quality of, of, of uh, you know, product than you would get, for example, on YouTube, by and large. Um, you know, that actually, if you can get people to pay for something, it's it just makes it better. I, I, I it, you know, there's and, and for the reasons that we discussed, you know, it's not it's puzzling to me exactly why that should be. But it's true. And I think possibly because, you know, let's say even if the filter was are you going to pay one p or five p to read a blog then you're already the kind of person i want to help drive demand if you're the kind of person who wouldn't pay 5p to read a blog i don't want blogs geared towards you because i'm not you're going to like different things to me I think that's sort of at the bottom of perhaps what I what I'm thinking here, um, but I think the so a couple of things really. First of all, uh, people have been predicting the end of the internet for uh, at least 25 years. There's an article in Wired from 1997 saying, "Kiss your browser goodbye," that the internet was going to stop being about you know websites and all of that kind of old-fashioned nonsense. Uh, there's another one in 2010, also on Wired. The web is dead. Long live the internet. Again, saying that you know people are going to be all moving to apps and um, and uh, people won't be surfing the web and looking at websites anymore. Um, 2013, similar article in Forbes. Um, a chap called Steve Newcomb, who was the founder of a company called Famo.us, uh, said 
In 10 years, he said, everything will be an app. Consumers will experience brands as a unified and integrated experience across all devices. Uh, and websites will slowly but surely join the ranks of AOL and the dial tone as relics of a bygone era. Uh, I did notice that um, there was an article about him uh, from about five years later saying 30 million dollars later, struggling JavaScript platform, famous pivots. So, um, you know, I, I guess he was banking on the death of the Internet. Well, he's got two happen. years to go. So, um... well, I suppose so. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so so I I mean, people have been talking about this for a while, but then I then I wonder if you know where we are at the moment is the sort of robber baron era of um you know of the internet where you know we've got a new space. Originally, it was visionaries, entrepreneurs, adventurers, you know, in the in the nineties, moving into this exciting new space. Then the corporations found it and moved in with their marketing men and their and their algorithm subverters and their and their you know flipping pop ups. And, uh, you know, I suppose like every other industry, eventually that is going to get tamed by some mixture of, you know, weeding out the worst offenders and, and government regulation. But at the same time, maybe something else will come along. I mean, you know, with re with the railways, uh, car that was cars. With the radio, it was telly. With telly, it was videos. With videos, it was streaming. You know, there's 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 something comes along which inconceivable because it feels like we've reached the end of the line and i wonder if um you know what the what that thing could be well as you say it, it can be quite inconceivable so it's, it's mm. difficult to, to imagine yeah yeah do you have any answers to nick's questions chris not not really but i don't i don't think this is unique to um to the internet i mean you know we've had periods before where you've you've had um uh kind of you know information democratization and i'm thinking particularly of um pamphleteering in in the us you know in colonial america uh and you know that that started off you know you had kind of thomas paine and and uh you know a real um kind of quality kind of circulation of information among an intelligentsia that was very influential and then slowly it became more and more sort of slanderous and, um, you know, sensationalist and, and low rent, really. Um, you know, and the, the, the um, yeah, so that by the kind of, you know, mid, mid 19th century, you know, really wasn't um, a source of information you could trust at all. And, uh, you know, and that kind of coincided with, with the birth of newspapers. So I, so I think there's, there's hope that, you know, we will see um, the current situation resolved by, by something else. And I, and I think that fundamental to that is going to be um, the fact that there, I, I think the two things are linked. So the idea that anybody can produce information and there's no judgment of it and introducing payment for that information i think they both serve the same purpose because people will pay for the stuff that is good which then means you know um uh the production of it um is limited to those who can be paid for and it also just creates a um a, a model in which um you know, quality suddenly has a has a value again. So yeah, I, well, it feels a bit like you know the old adage that um, the a lie can get halfway around the world before the truth has got its boots on. 
I wonder if the problem is that, you know, as you were saying, crap is easy to produce, right? So yeah. any va information vacuum is going to get flooded with crap. And we just have to put up with this initial period where it's a rather like when a sewage drain gets unblocked and the first, you know, the first sort of three or four minutes, it's just, you know, mud. And then, and then, then you get yeah. water. Yeah. Um, and I just wonder if, if that's it really with a, with a, you know, things like, I guess, Substack, um, are the beginning of that sort of backlash, the inevitable backlash where people say, look, we, we need to sort this cr problem of crap out. And the only way we can do it is to is to get people to pay. OK, um, we sort of we need to um, draw to a conclusion, really. Um, but, you know, there's the solutions they've been offered. Um, Incidentally, this podcast is available for free on the internet. Um, I wonder where we fit into the sort of the quality crap ratio. Um, ah, it's interesting because um, we don't have adverts, though. We don't have we any don't, adverts. We don't. So we don't. And we, we're we not sponsored. Ask, we don't ask for sponsorship or subscription. No, we do it no. for fun. We do well. We do ask for subscription. We, in a sense, but we no, do we're not ask asking people, people to pay. We're not asking people to pay. But I say, I hear what you're saying. We need to start asking people to pay. So bad news, listeners. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, good news, really, because you're going to be part of a you know a high quality gated community. Okay. Um, right. We'll stop there. Um, as always, thanks for listening. Uh, if you've got any thoughts or suggestions for topics, you can email us at podcast at .com. We'd love to hear from you. If you've enjoyed the podcast, uh, what should people do, Nick? Well, they, they shouldn't use the internet to like. What they should do is write us a nice handwritten letter on Basil de Bond and post it to us saying how much they like it. It would be much appreciated. And in return, we might sort of give them an Aleph Insights um, or Cognitive Engineering podcast badge, I should imagine. Um, or we could yeah. send them the podcast on a tape cassette. Yes, good, good idea. D90. We could do a mix, actually, of all the best bits, um, although that might not take up much of the tape. Um, <laughs> thanks, as always, for listening. I'm Fraser McGrew. We've been here with Chris Ragg and Nick Hare of Aleph Insights. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.